episode 241, Putting the Squeeze on Community Pharmacies. Today, I speak with Vinay Patel, founder of Self-Insured Pharmacy Networks. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There are 65,000 community pharmacies in the United States today. And the total cost to locate, staff, and operate these pharmacies is about 9% of our total national drug spending. That's less than 1% of our national health expenditure and falling. This is despite the fact that about 85% of our nation's something like 6 billion prescription fills are unbranded generics, and unbranded generics are a staple of community pharmacy business. These stats are courtesy of Troy Trigstad, by the way. Bottom line, and pharmacy benefit managers pushing mail order may beg to differ, but many patients rely on walk-in pharmacies to get their meds filled timely, same day. They rely on the pharmacist for advice. They rely on the pharmacist to be an extension of the care team. This is even more stark in rural settings, where there may be a pharmacist nearby, but potentially not a doctor. It would kind of stink for a lot of patients if these pharmacies were pushed out of business by the elephants of the supply chain or more accurately, on the demand chain. I'm referring to traditional PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, and the pressures that they are increasingly putting on pharmacies, resulting in what's beginning to amount to an existential threat for these community pharmacies. Today, I speak with Vinay Patel, who is the founder of Self-Insured Pharmacy Networks. He's also a pharmacist, and he's also an expert in these matters. To clarify a couple things before we dive in, PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefit Manager. There are three main pharmacy benefit managers that process the vast majority of prescriptions in this country today. These three traditional PBMs are ESI, Express Scripts, CVS Caremark, and Optum RX. Who hires and pays these PBMs? Employers, for one, and also some insurance carriers and sometimes the government, as in Medicare Part D. These PBMs, by the way, these three are vast and they're powerful. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Vinay Patel, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. Glad to be here. All right. So let's level set some rumors here. I'm going to ask you a true or false question, Vinay. Are you ready? Huh? Let's do it. <laughs> is the statement true or false? PBMs get discounts on the drugs that they buy on behalf of clients. So in other words, you know, clients are saving money based on the buying power of PBMs. True or false? False. That's a common misconception. The reality is PBMs don't actually buy drugs. There's a distinct separation between PBMs and the contracting world that they live in, and then the actual distribution of drugs, which is the pharmacy supply chain. All right. PBMs don't buy drugs, period. How then are they shaking down pharma companies for discounts? Because as I think is pretty clear these days, somehow or another, PBMs are taking rebates from pharma companies. So if they're not actually purchasing products, what are they doing? At its core, if you want to think about what a PBM does, they process claims. So just like a health insurer processes medical claims, a PBM processes prescription claims. Whenever someone goes to a pharmacy, uses their insurance card, 
to fill a medication, a PBM essentially processes that claim. There's a software system that the prescription claim runs through, and that's essentially what a PBM does. And then uh, this is what I've heard. PBMs are supposed to control the cost of drugs. That's another big sort of value proposition. Funny, though, probably a year ago now, there was an interview with uh, Express Scripts on 60 Minutes due to uh, litigation that was happening with the city of Rockford, Illinois. And uh, there was a particular statement in that litigation where Express Scripts had filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit based on the fact that they were not contractually obligated to control costs. Yeah. And what I've always found interesting about just kind of the PBM industry or the drug supply chain or and demand side of the business, I, I don't know of any other business that is like it. You've got parties on one side of the equation, the demand side where the PBMs are, who are processing mm-hmm. claims, as you just said, and Mm -hmm. figuring out how much the patient and the plan sponsor is going to get charged for something. And then all the way on the other side of the equation, having very little to do with this side, is the supply side in which the pharmacies themselves go and buy drugs from somebody else. (laughs) Correct, correct. At a different price. So if I'm a (laughs) pharmacy sitting right in the middle of this, I'm getting paid by a PBM Mm-hmm. But I'm getting charged for the price of the drug from these, you know, wholesalers. What does that look like on the ground? I'll take a stab at the the first part of the question. On the PBM side, processing a claim means that you have to have a network of pharmacies, and you're going to contract with that network of pharmacies and actually dictate what you're going to pay them, the pharmacies, when one of their members, one of the PBM members, comes into their pharmacy to fill a drug contract with a network of pharmacies and set reimbursement rates for those pharmacies so that when a claim is processed, the pharmacy will know, well, the rates are in there to, so the pharmacy will know how much they're going to be paid for a drug. But those rates are set. It's set in the contract. Let's pick a drug. What drug should we talk about here? Drug A, doesn't matter. What the PBM is basically saying is that, all right, we have a contracted rate for this particular plan sponsor. So pharmacy, if you see a patient that has this particular plan sponsor, and that patient has a script for drug A, we're going to pay you $20. Right, right. The only caveat I would add to that, Stacey, the pharmacy contracting side of a PBM doesn't explicitly state for this plan sponsor, you will get paid X. It will just say for this type of drug, you will get paid X. And it doesn't actually go into that. There may be separate contracting for Medicare And it doesn't even get into the details. That's part of the problem is that there's so much opacity to keep it that way to create a revenue stream for the PBMs called spread pricing. And so pharmacies just know exactly what they're going to get paid. They don't even know which plan sponsor it's for. And it's just based on drugs. If we're talking about Express Scripts or we're talking about Optum or we're talking about Caremark CVS, they have Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. price. So for brand A, each one of those different PBMs is going to pay one price. Right. All right. So moving on, you were going to get to, I think, the supply side now. Yeah. So on the supply side, pharmacies, individual retail pharmacy locations or specialty pharmacies or mail order pharmacies, they purchase drugs from, we'll just talk about retail pharmacy. They purchase drugs from a wholesaler. They essentially have a contracted rate that they're going to buy 
drugs from the wholesaler. And those wholesalers are McKesson. Right. Uh, Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal, and then, yeah, McKesson. Those are the big three. They go to the wholesaler for drug A. Maybe the contracted rate that they're paying is, let's just hope, like $10. So in that particular example, they're paying 10 and then they're getting paid by the PBM 20. So that would all Mm -hmm. seem to work out nicely. Yes. And it works out nicely when if the contract's uh, sort of favorable. But and this goes into sort of the why pharmacy and healthcare in general doesn't abide by any free market principles. Pharmacy, unlike a grocery store, buys drugs at the lowest possible price it can buy it for, but cannot set its own rates to sell the product for, right? It's essentially tied on the payment side by these insurance companies, by PBMs, on what it will get paid for drug. And essentially, they have one lever to pull, which is I got to make sure to buy drugs as cheaply as possible. And if for some reason that day or that quarter, the drug price spikes, or it's one of those those times of the year where drug prices increase, then the pharmacy can lose out because they can't buy it for cheaper. It's not available anywhere for cheaper, but their payment terms are set. There could be a case where all of a sudden drug A costs $26. Exactly. But they're still only going to get paid $20. Therefore, every time a patient comes and fills that script, the pharmacy just lost six bucks. That's right. That's right. And that can happen on on buying side, and we'll talk a little bit later what can happen, even if the pharmacy buys it for $10, how they could lose money on that drug. This is getting interesting. And is this uncommon? Is this like, oh, once every now and then the price will spike? Or how frequent is it that the cost is going to fluctuate and the payment terms are not? So the squeeze is put on the pharmacy and for that product. I'll give you an example. I, I used to work for a regional pharmacy that did about ten to 15,000 prescriptions a day. And when we looked over the claims to see how much we were getting paid versus from the insurance company for every drug that we were sending out the door and exactly how much we could buy it for, every day, 10 to 15% of all the drugs that we sent out the door were paid below our cost. This is a a pervasive problem, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. And is this something where independent pharmacies tend to bear the brunt of the challenge because they don't necessarily have any leverage on either side? Yeah. So, you know, I'd say that the leverage isn't necessarily the problem. The issue really is a couple different folds. So when you compare an independent pharmacy to Walgreens, let's say, Walgreens can definitely, you know, they have buying power, they can buy drugs for cheaper because of their volume and and buying power. An independent pharmacy actually groups together into, I'm using air quotes here, coalitions, it's not really a coalition, but they group together to buy, you know, with a, a, a similar or same amount of leverage as Walgreens. So they're able to buy drugs pretty comparably, especially when we're talking about generic drugs. Uh, It really comes down to the independent pharmacy owner, the balance sheet that independent pharmacy owner has is much smaller than the balance sheet for Walgreens, a corporate level pharmacy that can have sophisticated infrastructure and departments to sort of investigate each one of these claims and, and fight insurance companies over these claims and sort of pick and choose where they buy drugs from discreetly. Uh, that's one, one, one advantage. And then the second advantage is 
typically corporate pharmacy has a big front end store and where they can make margins uh, that are unbelievably greater than what they can make in the pharmacy. And so they can subsidize that front end store revenue from with any losses they may have, or maybe even the squeeze they may get in the pharmacy. Uh, if they can just drive traffic to their stores, they'll be happy, even if they may be cutting even or breaking, uh, taking a loss on, on the pharmacy side. Whereas independent pharmacy, uh, typically, you know, a majority of their revenues, more than 70% or 75% of the revenue comes from the prescription sales. Let's refocus our attention back on the demand side of the equation with what's mm-hmm. going on with these PBMs. What I'm teeing up right now is spread pricing. So we just set it up where pharmacies have contracted rates from these PBMs to get paid. So that's locked in. Uh, and so now on when a PBM goes to a plan sponsor, whether it's a Part D plan or an employer, they essentially get to set rates for that plan sponsor and say, for drug A, where we just talked about the pharmacy is going to get paid $20, that same drug A, the PBM can tell the employer, you're essentially getting charged $40. And so now the PBM collects $40 for drug A when that member picked it up at the pharmacy and pays to the pharmacy $20. That's the simplest example of spread pricing. It exists most egregiously in generic drugs. And then, you know, if you want to think about another example of this, it's like buying a car. So essentially what the PBM is doing is it's charging the plan sponsor or the employer MSRP for the car, and it's paying pharmacies invoice price for that same car, and it's keeping the difference. You had given for drug A, and and obviously that was a totally hypothetical example, but you said that it was $40. The difference between the sticker price and the MSRP was one was Uh $40 and one was $20, which is Uh 100% or 50%. Is that a typical spread? Like that much or is it like 50 cents? Here's where it really gets tough to figure out what the spread is. Uh, We go back to the opacity in contracting, the opacity in pricing in this industry for pharmaceutical products. And I can tell you that it's impossible to pinpoint exactly how much on average what the spread could be on any particular plan. You know, it's it varies so highly. We actually talked with quite a few people who worked in the PBM industry. And one individual told us that here's how it works. If a plan sponsor wants certain terms, X, Y, and Z terms, PBMs literally have hundreds of variations on their contract that discreetly identify exactly how much they're going to make in profit. And so if a plan sponsor wants X, Y, and Z, they just go into their archives, pull the contract that says X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C are now changed, and they can still make the same revenue. It's like squeezing a balloon, as they call it, that if if the employer comes in and says, well, I want these terms for this one area. I mean, these are big, sprawling contracts. So the PBM's like, oh, okay, fine. But then they up something else so that they wind up making the same amount of money. Exactly. Exactly. Hundreds of variations in this contract just to sort of every discrete variable is accounted for and they made sure that their revenues are maintained. But going back to your point is it's it's hard. So it's hard to tell, you know, exactly how much across the board PBMs are making. Those contracts are confidential and proprietary. But I'll give you an example. The state of Ohio did an audit on their Medicaid plan uh, just to, to determine exactly in their plan how much they were paying in spread. The state of Ohio found that they paid PBMs 
$223 million that never made it to the pharmacy. And on average, across all the prescriptions that they dispense, that's about $5.71 across all their prescriptions. And for just the specialty products, that was $33 alone per prescription for their specialty prescriptions. This highlights a point that I want to make sure that I'm clear on. And it's very, you know, it's sort of a founding value of ours is that it's not how much PBMs are making. We don't have a problem with Apple making hundreds and billions of dollars a year. What we have a problem with is that it's impossible for the purchaser of PBM services to know exactly how much they're paying in spread when they're signing that contract because of the confusion, complexity, the convolutedness of these contracts. It's They can't know. They, they won't know. They'll never know. So you had just mentioned that there's $5.71 on average that's being paid to process or adjudicate these transactions. Uh-huh. Are they performing $5.71 worth of services? <laughs> right. And that goes back to the other side of the coin here, which is, okay, now we know exactly how much we paid for those services. What are we getting in return? What's the value of a PBM processing a claim for us? And how much is that worth? It shouldn't be upfront and transparent so that people can compare apples to apples, say, okay, well, this PBM charges X and that one charges Y, they're doing the same function. But now what's the value conversation? What are we actually getting for what we're spending? I can't see a real value proposition today in the traditional sense. Not to complicate things, but there's also dollars that are being siphoned off on the other side, you know, from the wholesalers. So you've got dollars that are being taken by the PBM, and this is not cumulative, but at the same time, there's dollars that are being taken by the wholesaler. So if anybody's paying $20 for a particular drug, how much of that is actually going to pay for the drug and how much of it is going to pay all the people who are you know, like they say, everybody that's in the middle takes a buck. Exactly. Everyone gets a cut on the margin. And so, of course, everyone in the supply chain is incentivized to make that price of that drug as high as possible so that that percentage margin that they get is as high as possible. If we're thinking about PBMs right now, so effectively how PBMs are, in quotes, getting a volume discount isn't that they're buying drugs and getting a volume discount. It's that they are aggregating payers, you know, they're aggregating Mm -hmm. employer Mm -hmm. plan sponsors so that when they Mm -hmm. go to the pharma company, they're like, look, if you want this number of customers for your product, then you need to give me this price. Right, right. That's the other side of PBMs trying to use that volume leverage where they can use it is for these branded products. These branded products are brand drugs are made by one manufacturer, AstraZeneca, Roche, Pfizer, They're the only manufacturer of that drug, and so it's considered a brand drug product. And what the PBMs do, exactly what you just said, Stacey, which is they take, they say, look, I've contracted with 100,000 people that are going to be using my PBM. Now, for that 100,000 people, what discount can you give me off that brand drug? These big PBMs go directly to pharma, to, to pharmaceutical manufacturers to negotiate these discounts and rebates. And we could have a whole separate uh, podcast episode on just uh, what is considered a rebate and what's not and, and why and how there's actually probably eight or nine different revenue streams that's not labeled rebate coming from pharma to PBMs uh, that can influence and adversely affect the increasing cost of drugs in the country. 
Yeah, we certainly we could probably do four podcasts on that. <laughs> um, but the brief summary is that this also creates, as, as we you had mentioned before, these misaligned incentives, because sometimes the generic drug might be cheaper for the plan right. sponsor or the employer, right. whoever's ultimately paying for a product. But mm-hmm. because a PBM might derive, let's just say, auxiliary benefits <laughs> um, <laughs> from the right. branded product in the form mm-hmm. of they can go to a manufacturer and get rebates of any stripe, then there's all kinds of weird stuff that has happened where despite the fact there's a really inexpensive generic that the patient could have got for $4 somehow or another, right. they wind up with a drug that costs 50 times that amount because it happens yes. to be branded. That's right. That's right. And and the vehicle that they use to make sure that patients use these branded products when there could be a generic available is, is these drug lists, these formularies. And the formulary, the way that they structure and design these covered drug lists is exactly how they're they're driving traffic to these high-cost products. Let's talk a little bit about other ways that PBMs extract dollars from pharmacies. So the simple version that we had just talked about of kind of the agreed upon rate is 20 bucks. So PBM right. pays the pharmacy 20 bucks, irrespective of how much the drug costs, but mm-hmm. they get 20 bucks in their pocket. Is mm-hmm. that where the story ends? I wish it was where the story ends, Stacy. We have uh, something called direct and indirect remuneration or DIR fees that are imposed on pharmacies. And that sort of leads to yet another revenue stream that PBMs have generated or created. So let's get into that a little bit. You said a DIR fee. Sometimes they're called clawbacks. There's a bunch of different names mm-hmm. for them. Let, let's go back to our story there, the $20. So, okay, I'm a pharmacy. I got right. paid 20 bucks. How do the DIR fees or the clawbacks come into play? Like what happens now in our little tale? <laughs> Months after that drug has been dispensed and taken by the patient and the pharmacy's been paid, months after that, a PBM will come back to a pharmacy and say, there were these X, Y, and Z performance guarantees or performance metrics you didn't meet. And so now I'm going to take 5 to 10 to $12 from that prescription that you dispense that the patient's already taken, and now the pharmacy loses money or, or makes you know razor-thin margins on that drug after the point of sale, right? After the sale has been completed. So let me understand this. So I got paid 20 bucks. I'm a pharmacy. I got paid 20 bucks for this, this drug like last March. <laughs> and, yep. and now all of a sudden a PBM comes back and says, ah, oh, here's the deal. Based on some performance metric, Right. <laughs> because we like we sent you the document and you signed it when you signed the contract with us, mm-hmm. pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you signed this piece of paper saying that there's going to be certain performance metrics that you would be measured on. And we measured you. And so sorry, you didn't make the cut. Yeah. So right. we're going to penalize you like it's a carrot right. and a stick. And here's your stick. Uh, cool. And you're you now owe us an additional 12 bucks. So you actually only got paid $8 for that script right. at the end of the day. I'll give you a little bit of color around an investigative piece that Axios, Bob Herman at Axios did into this exact uh, situation that we're talking about today. So in the article, he reports that only the top 1% of pharmacies incur no penalties. The other 99% have to write checks back to the PBM. In this case, it was Express Scripts. And then it goes on to say that the clawbacks 
So these DIRPs or clawbacks are based on the high list price. We talked about MSRP price for drugs. It's, it's called average wholesale price for drugs. This high list price is what the clawbacks are based on when no one buys at that price. And then the other really interesting piece to this was, uh, according to what they were looking at, some contract that they were looking at, Express Scripts may change the method by which it deducts any performance adjustments at its sole discretion and shall not require the consent of any pharmacy, again, per that contract. So 85% of pharmacies had to pay something in the neighborhood of 4 to 6% back to PBMs. What are these performance metrics? Like, what's just an example of how, if I'm a pharmacist, I might be evaluated? There's a slew of these metrics. One common one that we see all the time is adherence to medications. And, you know, we think that, hey, you know, a pharmacy should have some control over how adherent, quote unquote, patients are to their medication. Unfortunately, these these calculations are based off of claims level data. And when a patient says, hey, you know, I, I decided I can buy the drug cheaper if I just pay cash for this drug because my insurance is charging me $10 for a drug that I could get for $4 if I just paid cash at Walmart or wherever for this drug, that never gets reported to the insurance company and the pharmacy essentially gets dinged for that. And then the other scenarios that happened are, you know, the doctor stops the drug or the dose changes so the patient ends up taking half the tablet and they take it for twice as long now so they don't need to fill it every month. There's a slew, as, as you've probably seen in all healthcare data, that happens on the medical side as well, that uh, the healthcare data is, is extremely dirty and there's just no way around it right now. One of the things that PBMs do is that some of them own pharmacies. So, you know, you've got CVS and Caremart owned by the same company. What is the repercussion? And if obviously if they're owned by the same company, then they're like clawing back. It's like Robin Peter and Pay and Paul. Peter and Paul are both in the same family, so it doesn't really affect. Right. Is that a model that is going to continue at the expense of independent pharmacies and other chains. Are mm-hmm. independent pharmacies in an untenable business model at this case? And and it's just the clock is ticking. Without a doubt, I'd say that's the, the most accurate statement that I've heard with the pharmacy industry today. And so given all of these practices, uh, it sort of hit independent pharmacy uh, like uh, a wall of bricks this year and it's only going to be getting worse as far as you know these clawbacks are concerned next year in terms of the contracts that we've seen come through from the big PBMs. It doesn't only affect independent pharmacy. I can tell you that we've seen reverberations of this across pharmacy. We've seen where Walgreens closed 200 stores, recently announced they closed 200 stores or will be closing 200 stores. Walmart in certain pockets have either laid off pharmacists or reduced hours or cut back hours. So it's everywhere. Yeah. And the other thing that PBMs are doing is they have mail order and then they insist that people use mail order. So like, what's the repercussion? Like, does this matter? Like, so say everybody gets their stuff either from a pharmacy that's owned by a PBM or from a mail order pharmacy that's owned by a PBM. Do healthcare outcomes diminish? You know, that's that's a fascinating question, Stacey. I, I, for one, have looked uh, very closely if all supplies that typically come out of a mail uh, facility are 90 days, if that really lowers what, you know, hard outcomes like inpatient utilization, ER utilization, and, and sort of the overall medical spend. Ironically enough, I found one paper 
that was published by Express Scripts that showed some benefit, but that's all I could find. I don't think it's been studied enough yet to know for sure. And then the manipulations that are played because PBM's own, you know, mail order pharmacies, specialty pharmacies is incredible because of that double revenue stream. And so not only are they essentially charged the spread pricing to the plan sponsors, but now they're also making revenue on the drug that was dispensed at their pharmacies and the sort of incentive there, the carrot if you will, to plan sponsors to use male pharmacy is, oh, we won't charge you an admin fee or, uh, you know, a dispensing, excuse me, a dispensing fee for the drugs that are dispensed out of the male facility, but essentially overcharge you on the spread pricing to make up for it. If one entity controls the entire supply yeah. chain, I mean, obviously, right. there's nobody watching the hen house unless right. <laughs> plan sponsors in there very diligently, it sounds like. And, and hiring an auditing company, right? Just to keep an eye on all the claims. There's this this new breed of PBMs, Vinay, which I know is very close to your heart, that is cropping up, which are often called uh, transparent PBMs. I've heard them called fiduciary PBMs. H- how does this ease the plight of pharmacies or, or level up or reduce, or improve the value of, of care delivered? So uh, the, the fiduciary or transparent PBMs, and this sort of goes to the industry itself and nomenclature, it's an undefined term, right? It's just, it's well, what does transparent mean in this industry? And, you know, it, it, everyone defines it a little bit differently. So, and fiduciary sort of has a stronger, more founded, defined meaning. But it's it's a step in the right direction. I'll, I'll give you sort of this uh, this analogy. If an employer is renting a house, so if they're essentially renting or leasing PBM services, they're they're renting this house, and I'm the transparent owner, PBM owner of this house, and I go you know knock on the door and and the, the employer's there, and I say I've hidden money in the house. Uh, I'm I'm being extremely transparent with you. It's your job to go find out where it is. Uh, and that could you know, essentially be a transparent PBM. And so I, I don't know, I, I, I can't tell you for sure how transparent or fiduciary PBMs are affecting pharmacy. I can tell you that they're being clearer and uh, quote unquote more transparent to plan sponsors in purchasing these services. They're supposed to be clearer and more transparent in, in the contracting. And it's it's definitely a step in the right direction. I think that we have a lot more work to do and we just need to go to a level of what's the actual cost of these medications when when you have, which you know exists in all the PBM contracts today, as far as we've seen, it's, it's a list price discount. And it's a discount that you're getting off this drug when you buy this drug that prevents plan sponsors from knowing what the actual cost of drugs are and knowing how much they're paying pharmacies, right? So that those are two big myths that we've uncovered talking to plan sponsors and employer groups. Well, let me ask you this. If employers are cottoning on to the notion that these PBMs are socking away dollars, Mm-hmm. You know, like at this juncture, I don't know, you just you, you turn on the news and there's some article about five point two billion dollars in spread pricing or rebates right. or this. I, you know, it's it's all over the place. So if there's an employer out there that it hasn't dawned on them at this juncture right. that, that this is going on with these <laughs> these PBMs, then, uh, you know, they're living under a rock. But yet 
the HTA, as just one example, in Ohio even, still mm-hmm. is using the same PBM or their competitor, which is kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. If you're talking about the, the big three PBMs, like their contracts are very, very similar. Why aren't people switching to this new breed of fiduciary or transparent PBMs, given the knowledge that seems to be pretty on the street? It's a very thorny issue. Uh, not only just the work it takes to switch from one PBM to another, but then the disruption that that causes. Even if the plan is very similar, there may be small differences in the drugs that are covered or which pharmacies and what the reimbursement rates are set. And so that's part of it. There's a lot of stickiness to PBMs and PBM contracts are written to be a, a three-year contract. There's also this other side of the coin, which is the amount of dollars when someone's, when an employer or a plan sponsor is considering changing, right? When they're going out to get a bid during renewal season to say, let me go look at, you know, do a market check and figure out if I'm getting a good deal. The second that sort of happens and triggers that, the PBM will just say, hey, why don't I just increase your rebate check uh, and throw money at the problem? And then they say, oh, well, okay, well, that helps. Why don't I just stay with who I am? It's easier, simpler. And that's sort of the second big issue is uh, that there's just money can, you know, there's huge amounts of, of money sloshing around that they can throw money at the problem. And there's been survey after survey that has shown that plan sponsors have an extremely frustrating time understanding the PBM contracting world and all the loopholes that go into that contracting and understanding how the system works and where the money's flowing and you know how exactly are, are all these pieces being uh, put together and working together. And, and there's a lot of distrust because of that confusion and frustration. And they know that they, they may know they're not getting a good deal, but they're sort of saying, well, if these are my only options or these are, are, my, are my options despite where I go, then I might as well just stay with who I am. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your company that you founded, Self-Insured Pharmacy Networks, LLC? Given the landscape we just laid out together, Stacy, we sort of designed a model to help answer some of these problems. We don't have all the answers, but we want to put together a model that can get everyone to start thinking about a new way to pay for pharmacy benefit services. And it starts with paying pharmacies on the actual cost of drugs. So our, our cost basis is not this high list price, it's actual the actual invoice prices that pharmacies pay to buy drugs plus a fixed margin for each drug. And this solves the sort of two problems that we uncovered talking to plant sponsors, which is, I don't know how much drugs actually cost and I don't know how much I'm paying for them. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have this line item clarity that can explain to you now or showcase to plan sponsors, here's exactly what drugs cost. And it's not our cost basis, right? It's not a number that we just made up. It's actually publicly reported data that shows this is the invoice price of drugs that pharmacies are buying for it. Uh, and it's used in state Medicaid agencies for in fee-for-service across the country and is publicly available. So that's sort of the, the model we put together. We apply our, our cost plus modeling to these independent pharmacies, we still have access to CVS and Walgreens, and it's really a member's choice now to say, I want to go because of convenience to Walgreens, to Walmart, or CVS, or I want to use my independent pharmacy that's near me uh, and get some better savings out of that. And your customers are employers, self-insured employers. Correct. Vinay Patel of Self-Insured Pharmacy Networks. Thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. Stacy, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you and, and sharing it with your listeners. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, 
You will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.